Are you ready? It's born that way. All right, everybody, welcome into the first installment of RMB Boxing here on whatever platform is going to take us. I am uh, a hostess without the mostess. My name is Rick Strom. I have worked in boxing for uh, as long as we have loved the sport. No, I'm just kidding. I haven't. Uh, but we have been everywhere, um, including on Uninterrupted. Uh, we run the station, have some fantastic interviews on there, and now we are taking it to you for free. So how about that? Uh, my co-host with the most is Britton Harden. How are you? I'm doing good, man. But I think that you're you are grossly underselling our work product. Okay, hit me. What are we doing? Me and Rick have been in the trenches. We've been covering boxing since 2012 together. You may have seen some of our clips from TYT. They're up on YouTube. Go check out the archive. You will have access to all of that plus much more. Um, Rick and I have also done uh boxing breakdowns on 120 sports yes sir i mean come on rick you got to give these guys the archive i know i'm trying to be humble about it i'm trying to no that's not what i should be doing that's not what this is about that is about (laughs) claiming everything that's ours it's about really standing on our boxing knowledge it's about standing on our friendship it's about standing on everything that we bring that's going to be unique to boxing in a way in a palatable way that you know this new generation maybe has not seen before so you know rick is giving you his his uh his background he's also grossly underselling himself rick has been rick has been covering sports since 2011 2010 he's grown one of the largest online sports platforms that there currently is he is the reason why tyt sports is a thing this is my boy one of my best friends he knows this sport amongst many other sports and <laughs> me myself um i just happen to work in the sport of boxing <laughs> i have you know managed several fighters uh professionally um i've also participated in the sport uh you know from a physical standpoint you know so i do have those hands mm-hmm. um you know but but listen man this is this is just about our love and passion for the sport trying to introduce an, a, a new wrinkle to uh, what we see as one of the world's best sports, man. This is R&B boxing. That is uh, probably one of the better introductions I've seen and heard. So I appreciate your uh, ability to correct a wrong. I gotta hold. Let's just put it like that. I gotta hold it down for you. I gotta hold it down for us, man. What's going on? What happened this weekend? I'm, I'm I'm just curious though. Is humble bad? Humble is, that what you're is saying? Not, no, 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 no. Humble, humble. Listen, here's the thing. Humility is the prerequisite to success. Uh But you also have to know when it's time to sell yourself, when it's time to, um, you know, insert yourself and and, uh, seize an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I think this is an opportunity for us. We have been humble for a long time. We have people who want to see us succeed. And I think that in order for us to really, you know, capture that, Mm -hmm. I think that we're going to have to start to sell ourselves a little bit more. Okay. All right. I, I'll work on it. I'm in the process of working on it. Not really my cup of tea, not something that I do, but I'll give it a whirl. Okay. This weekend, uh, we saw Triple G uh, take on Ryota Murata. Um, first off, as an American who mm. actually believes in science, seeing people in an arena wearing masks, yeah, that was the first thing that like really struck me. Uh, the fight took place in Japan, uh, Ryota Murata's home. Um, wh- did you not have any sort of feeling at all as you saw that, as you were watching a live sporting event in another country who's maybe taking this a little more seriously than we are here? Yeah, yeah. But but listen, man, I know that uh, the Japanese, they have been, they've been very, very delicate about this. Sure. They have, um, they've definitely followed the science. Um, they try to be a little bit more hands-on and listen, I think that their, their culture is a little bit less about consumerism than ours. Is. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so definitely you can see, you can see the, the, you know, even, even them being in that arena, you can see that there was some type of, uh, some care for the common man and the common person. For sure. Um, so onto the fight, I thought it was a typical triple G fight. By the way, did you know he's 40? 
how <laughs> many times do we have to hear that he is 40? And I get it, okay? That is a large part of the fight is his age. Yeah. He still looked good. Obviously didn't look as sharp. And that's just prefacing what we're about to analyze. I thought he still looked good, not as sharp. But how I feel about them mentioning that he was a certain age is sort of like how many NFL fans will understand this. When you hear the name Ryan Fitzpatrick, you immediately think of what announcers have drilled into our fucking heads over and over. And it's that, well, he's so smart. He went to Harvard. That's all anybody talks about. Every single time you hear the name Ryan Fitzpatrick. Should we be focusing on his age so much as we should be talking about the win, let's say? Well, listen, I think that it's inevitable that you're going to hear 40, 40, 40, number one, because he's been out of the ring for so long, right? Yeah. And so the last time we saw him in the ring, sure, he won the fight, but did he look like that seek and destroy person, right, that he once was? And I think that what when they're prefacing the age, what they're trying to see is, is he an older Triple G that's going to start to box a little bit more on the back foot? Mm-hmm. Or are we ever going to see that guy who was like, you know what, fuck it, I'm walking through you. I'm walking through your face. I'm, I'm, I'm coming behind this jab. I'm throwing, you know, combinations. I'm breaking your ribs and I'm getting you out of there. Are we going to see that guy again? Mm-hmm. Or are we seeing someone on the other side of 40? Right. So what'd you see? I don't know, Rick. I, I, what I see <laughs> is what I see is a ring the bell segment that might be coming up between me. And okay. I, okay. I didn't think that he looked good. I didn't think that he looked good. I'm not a pessimist whatsoever because I know what the prelude is. I know that this was just the prelude to an eventual Canelo Alvarez trilogy. Right. I'm all for that, but at the same time, having managed a fighter, having managed fighters before. I mm-hmm. am a proponent of fighter's health. Mm-hmm. Based on the fight that we saw with Murata, I don't like what I see down the road for Triple G. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm going to give you a second to kind of retort. Sure. But okay. I, I saw some things that I want to point out. Okay, so I, I'm in complete agreement with you. I thought after seeing him take the punches he took, to hear, again, I, I, I know that it is their duty to do this, to hear the announcing crew sell us on triple g canelo three i want no part of it i don't want to see him take any punches he already took too many from a guy who is not bad at all he's just not triple g triple g at 40 is still better than a pretty good heavy hard punching thudding also leave himself open middleweight like riota morata Murata took a lot of shots, but he also gave a lot too. The fight changed in round five when he got his mouthpiece knocked out. After that, it was totally downhill. However, the punches he landed on Triple G, if that is not just the upper echelon, you could arguably say aside from the heavyweights, because heavyweight boxing has certainly returned in the last few years, you could say was the face of boxing for a very long time. Very long ago. Very, very long time. A guy who has won in multiple weight classes. A guy who's also proven that he'll take on almost any challenge at any point in time. Do I want to see him go up against that guy again? No. I'm with you about fighters' health. And I think what's a positive is also that we're seeing in sports how the fans are starting to see athletes as human. And I know that that's very, very weird to say, but in the past they were just viewed as an athlete. Yeah. They were nothing more than an athlete. Now that we are seeing, for, for example, the way that the NFL has changed the way they go about concussions, when a guy is totally knocked out, it's not like, Oh, they got to give him some smelling salts and he's got to get back in the game. They're actually, by default, having to take their time because the times have changed. It's not about, well, I need to show that I'm not a wuss. 
it's more like, oh, okay, you suffered a concussion. We know about CTE and a lot of these. You could even say uh, it started with Mike Webster, and we've seen it throughout the years. We're seeing more of an importance on the health of any athlete in any given sport. If I am Triple G's team, and you're thinking of it from that perspective, I don't want to see him go anywhere near Canelo Alvarez. However, because of the money that's involved and what they would get paid in the year, well, it's 2022, they'd wait, probably 2023 at this point. You're talking about life-changing money for a lot of people, and unfortunately, those interests outweigh what might happen to Triple G long-term after a third Canelo fight. I get what you're saying. It's inevitable, right? There's way too much money on the table. Canelo, Triple G, DAZN, they're not leaving this much money on the table between those two men and that one. Th- throw out a number real quick. What do you think he'd get for a third fight? For a third fight, he's probably going to make 30? 20- no, no. I, yeah, I was going to say somewhere between 20 and $30 million. Mm-hmm. And, and listen, if I'm him, I'm not walking away from that. So I understand. But my point to you and you understand it is just that uh, even outside of Canelo, which is the that is the exit strategy, there's nothing but pain down the road for exactly. Triple G. Let me let me let me let me let me break it down. Break down to you what I saw. Please, I saw a Triple G who came out. He looked shredded. He looked big. He looked huge. He his his back looked uh, looked you know, really strong. You know, a lot of power comes from the from your back and how much you can you know snap you know, from your, from your shoulder with your legs. Mm-hmm. I saw him look amazing in the first round behind that jab. And then I saw him in the second round, abandon it. And he abandoned the jab because Leota Murata woke up after he took so many jabs in the first round. And he said, Oh, I'm in a fight in my hometown. I got to show up. Mm-hmm. And once triple G got a little resistance, it seemed like he kind of capitulated in a sense. And now look, it's 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 strategy because what he was trying to do was box, stay off the ropes, and continue to circle back to the center. But we're not used to seeing Triple G fight in that fashion, which is Correct. off the back foot. And Triple G does not fight well off the back foot. So if he's giving that much ground to Leona Morata, what do you think is going to happen when he gets in the ring with Canelo? That's number one. You abandon your jab at the first the first sight of of resistance from from a younger fighter. Not a good sign. The second thing, the amount of punches that he took. I did not like a man 40 plus. We we make a big deal of the age all we want to. A man 40 plus years old should not be taking those kind of punches to the head. This is the age where those type of punches stick with you. This is where we see, you know, um, a a retention and and, uh, Mm -hmm. cognitive abilities. This is where we see the speech patterns start to slur. This is where we see a man start to move a little bit slower. So I don't like to see a 40-year-old man. If, if you're going to be that age plus fighting, then you need to be moving like Bernard. You need to be moving like- I was just you know, thinking that. Like Mayweather, right? Mm-hmm. If you're going to be that old, you got to be really God-gifted to keep it up. But then, but allow me, allow me to interject real quick. But isn't that partially his fault, as to, to his fault as well? Because he loves to stand in the pocket. He showed that he can't fight off the back foot. But yeah. how I personally perceived it was- he should actually keep his distance against, against this guy because we have seen how Murata lunges so hard and leaves himself so open. I actually thought if he kept a distance and didn't fight in a phone booth, that would have benefited him in this fight long term. And he probably could have got him out sooner because Murata lunges so much. Well, Rick, therein lies the problem. And you just broke it down perfectly. He doesn't have that wrinkle to his game. Mm. His game for... 20 plus years however long he had been boxing before you know we start to see the the you know the the slowdown yep he's going to walk you down yes he's preventing you from creating momentum he's snapping your head back with the jab which makes you move laterally or straight back he's the one that is forcing someone on the back foot and now he is the one that's having to to fight off the back foot and move around which is to my third point his footwork was terrible. He looked so robotic. He looked his age. And so while- well, he also you know, stood still a lot too. He well, stood still and ate punches left and right. He had to. He had to. 
And when he was younger, he could sit there, he could box with his waist a little bit better. He could mm. dodge those shots. He could pick shots off here, parrying shots. He could slip under shots. And you were afraid if you were Triple G in his heyday, 2012, 13, 14, you were afraid when Triple G was getting underneath your shots, when he would catch a shot, you're afraid of that movement because you know a big left hook or a straight right hand is coming back. You know a body shot is coming back. You know he's going to roll and come back with that jab that's going to snap your head back and it's going to stiffen your neck. You're not going to be the same fighter after taking too many of those. Mm -hmm. So now I think that the allure of Triple G is just gone. One, I agree. he abandons abandons his best weapon, which is his jab. Two, his... and, And real quick, when he landed it, it felt like it made a difference. 100%. He, he was landing powerful jabs. These weren't just like gimme jabs and try to work off of it. He could have, not not necessarily, but you remember the fight where Vladimir Klitschko fought, uh, uh, what's my man's name? Uh, David Hay. When he yeah. fought David Hay and he knocked him down with a jab, yeah. I had that weird feeling with Triple G because those were like body-shaking jabs that he was landing on Murata. That's what you call a shotgun jab. That's what you call a shotgun jab. It's, it's so much power behind it. It's the equivalent to him loading up and hitting you with a straight right hand. Mm-hmm. Right? When he got back to landing that punch, we saw him able to better set up the right hand. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, you know, this is just the X factor. So my three things that I did not like about the performance, he abandoned his best weapon. Mm-hmm. His footwork was terrible. And he did not seem to take those shots very well. You saw that he was visibly bothered by those shots as, as, as when he was younger, he could take those shots a little bit better. And the X factor in all of this, and Derevinchenko exposed this many years ago. Real quick, did you think he won that fight? Gennady Golovkin? Yeah. Oh, against Derevinchenko? Yes. No, I thought, I thought, I thought Derevinchenko won that fight. Uh, okay, I agreed. Thought, We're on the I same page. Was, I thought that it was very, very... Uh, it was close, but I thought he lost. It was a, it was a it was a very close fight, but I edged it to Derevinchenko seven five. I did too. I thought that Derevinchenko did everything he needed to do to expose Triple G at that stage in his career for not being able to take body shots, not being able to deal with lateral movement, and mm-hmm. not being able to deal with a fighter who's cutting angles on him. And mm-hmm. that was something that Derevinchenko's brilliance, Canelo didn't even figure out. Right. Mm-hmm. So we now know that that um, we now know that. Gennady Golovkin can't take body shots. What do you think is going to happen? Oh my gosh! He gets in the ring. Oh my gosh! Alvarez, who has some of the most dangerous left hooks to the body that we've seen in recent years. Mm-hmm. And here's the other thing I, I, I want to answer to: if he, even if he didn't fight Canelo Alvarez, who else? Who else are we going to see him in the ring with? He has nowhere else to go. He's not going to look good against Jamal Charlo. I agree. Or 68. And Charlo hasn't even fought at 68 yet. And I don't care. He's just mm-hmm. a younger man, faster. He throws him too many combinations. He, he has too much energy. We, he's not going to step in the ring with uh, Demetrius Andre. Too many angles, too much speed, too much good footwork. He'll run Triple G in the shots all night. Who, I mean, the only person that he might would be in somewhat of an enter, entertaining fight with at this point, and it's sad to say, is Jaime Munguia. And we don't even know. That. Mean, like a, that's a 50-50 fight in itself. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just getting to the point now where I think that Triple G, he's had a few wars. I think it's starting to show. I think that some fighters deal with those shots better as they get older. Triple G is not one of them. If you got to, take the Canelo fight, sail off into the sunset, and don't step foot into another boxing ring. Right, but I, what I've heard is you're going back and forth a little bit. So you're giving two different perspectives. If you were managing him, you would say don't. Yes? If I were and, managing him. Yeah, and then as a fan or as someone who appreciates the art of the sport, you would say go for it. I just yeah. want to clarify. Yeah, yeah. I think, mm-hmm. I think that's the sentiment, right? Like, here's the other thing, Rick. When you're managing these guys, you, this is probably, you've heard me say this over the years, time and time again, boxing is the most mental sport that there is. If a fighter thinks that he can, sometimes on a great night he can. And I think that there's no more evident a fight than uh, George Foreman making his comeback against, um, 
against uh, Michael Moore, right? Where he just fixed in his head, I'm beating this guy. Mm. And there's nothing that anybody's going to do to stop me. I'm older. This guy's undefeated. He's a southpaw. He's a slick boxer. And it's beautiful because George said to Jim Lampley, well, Jim Lampley asked him in a, uh, in a pre-fight uh, conference, how are you going to make him stand in front of you? How are you going to make him slow down? How are you going to land your big shot? And he said, you just watch. He's going to come to me. He's going to stand right in front of me and I'm going to land the shot. And that's exactly what happened. He landed the shot. It became, it happened. It happened. It was that magical moment in boxing that we all love. All right, let me, go, let me go back to this. Something that I saw from Triple G was when they would meet in the center of the ring. Mm-hmm. He would duck in with his head, and then he would duck back, and then he would duck in with his head. Gloves would be near his chin, and then he would duck back. What, what is the thought process behind that? What was he trying to set up? Was it the uppercut that he kept landing? Or was he trying to bait Murata into something? Why would a powerful guy like him try to dummy and expose his head for second, half a second? It's way less strategic than you think. Can, I mean, Canelo. Gennady's body was compromised at that point in the fight. And right, because he, he was eating body shots. He didn't want to give his body up, mm-hmm. but he wanted to stay close to Murata. Because if you allow Murata to, to gain steam and walk you down, then that's just not a good sign. It doesn't look good. Mentally, it doesn't leave a, a good impression on you that you're getting walked down by a fighter. And that's a round that you've essentially lost. But when you're on the inside, you're catching shots and you can return fire. Sometimes you're safer in the fire. And so what Gennady was doing there was he's trying to protect his body and he didn't mind giving up his giving up the head shots. Which, which is terrible. And this is against Leota Murata, mm-hmm. right? Like, to your point, not a bad fighter, but not Canelo Alvarez, not Jamal Charlo, not Demetrius Andre, mm-hmm. not Jaime Munguia. I, w- I want to go back to something that you said, um, mainly with Andre. So we've talked about this a little bit. It comes down with Boo Boo, the risk versus reward of an opponent facing him. Yeah. Which is utter bullshit, by the way, because we know how quality he is. We know how good he is in the weight class. My issue is I see a less powerful modern-day Paul Williams, and no one wants to face him because they know how dangerous he is. And let me ask you, instead of giving my take, do you think his team and those that put the events together have failed him because me, I think he's sublime. I think he is a supreme boxer. I like watching him. Even if it is like that sec defensive game where Alabama plays LSU and it's like 17, 10, there's an art to it. It is mechanical. It is at times flawless boxing. And yes, he's not knocking the crap out of people. And he's not like Mike Mile High Alvaradoing people, but it is really sweet. Yeah. Has his team let him down that it's now coming into that like, uh, it would be a good win, but not a lot of people would give a shit. Yeah. So 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 that is not that's there's no clean answer. It's not a black and white. And I can tell you from being on the business side of boxing, mm-hmm. because boxing is not under one unified sanctioning body. Yeah. The problem is these fighters just don't have to fight you if they don't want to. And if there's not a big enough draw, there's not enough money on the table. Now, the reason why I say that is because Demetrius Andre, and I don't know, like I've been reading a few reports that he may have parted ways with Matchroom. I don't know if that's definitively true, but I think that Eddie Hearn, Eddie Hearn was probably one of the best was one of the best promotional partners he could have had. He had his own as a platform. He had a lot of money behind him. They've offered fighters a lot of money to get in the ring with him. And a lot of, think about it, Canelo Alvarez and Gennady Golovkin are both native to the zone. And neither one of those guys would get in the ring with, with Demetrius Andre. Mm-hmm. And 
I know that there were offers. I know that there was money being, being, you know, being uh, big money being offered to those guys. Gennady Golovkin, from what I heard, would get visibly angry when people would ask him about, you know, when his team would ask him about fighting Demetrius Andre. Why? He's just not interested in that fight. He's tired of hearing Demetrius's name. He doesn't want to, he's not interested in getting in the ring. So what does Demetrius have to do in order to give them a sign, yank them in that direction, get them to sign the dotted line? I mean, look, you pull up on Canelo Alvarez in a, in a, which was great by the way, which was great. And I don't think he wasn't disrespectful at all. He actually said, congratulations. I thought you fight a good, thought you fought a good fight. I'd love to fight you one day. I'm a fan. Canelo took offense to that, had him kicked out of the conference, and it became a, you know, payday, payday. It became the the joke, you know, that was the first time we heard Canelo cursing somebody out. It became more about Canelo speaking English uh, verbally for the first time, more so than Demetrius Andre. I think that he gets, he becomes the butt of a lot of jokes where he's trying to be serious, and I don't understand why. The only thing I can see him doing differently in his career that might would allow him to get into the ring with the upper echelon and the 60 or 68 is two different things. One, as the WBO uh, super middleweight or middleweight champion, he could vacate that title, move up to 68. And when you are the champion in a lower weight class and you're moving up, you can petition to the WBO as a part of their, as a part of their rules to become the number one contender for the champion at the above weight class. So what he could do, and I'm sure his attorney, what I would do if I was his, what I would do if I was his manager, I'm sure either his manager or attorney have reached out to them and they've said, this is what we're willing to do to fight Canelo Alvarez. Now, then you got to think about all the politics that get involved with Canelo moving up now to 75 Mm -hmm. Weight class, I mean, these sanctioned bodies not wanting uh, to move Canelo from being their champion because it brings them a lot of esteem and Absolutely. a lot of sanctioned fees that they can charge Canelo. And he'll pay it because it means nothing to him. And so then you see the politics of the sport come into play, right? So that's the first thing he could try and do. He could try and do that, right? We haven't heard from him for a while. I don't necessarily know what his next fight or what his next move is. So maybe let's just say his team has that underway. Mm-hmm. The second thing is, and I don't know what the relationship is at this point, but maybe he could try and sign, sign with Al Heyman, right? Um, oh. If, from my understanding, if Al likes you, uh, he's going to take care of you. He's going to make sure you're fighting often. You know, he's he's going to make sure that regardless if you lose or not, you you, you got you have a means of paying your family, paying for your family. Oh, in- yeah. Well, considering that you said if Al likes you, he likes you, and he'll bring you in. Yeah. And what, how old is Andre now? 31, 32? Maybe older. He could be older. 33. At this point, why hasn't he taken him in? Why didn't he see previously? Because if, if that, if that is true, and obviously I take your word for it, I love it. But like, if that is true, he would have brought him in previously mm-hmm. because he would have seen the potential. So maybe it actually shows more that he potentially, allegedly, maybe shied away from having this relationship. Maybe there is something that we just don't know. Yeah. That if not- if Al will take care of you, he's already an established, very good fighter, as I said. There has to be a reason why they haven't even any other report hasn't gone out that he met with him, was offered a contract or talks broke down or anything. Well, that's why I said, you know, I don't know what the relationship is. But when I just look at it, you know, outside looking in. I think that he could try and exercise with the the one sanctioning body that he holds a title for. He could try and exercise. He could try and push them to do the right thing to make it, make him Canelo or whoever is the champion at 68, right? Mm-hmm. Whoever is that champion. Because listen, that's what Alexander Usyk did to get the number one po- uh, position to fight um, AJ. He unified at cruiserweight and he said, I want to move up. I want to be heavyweight champion of the world. I'm number one contender because of your bylaws, because of the rules that you set in place for your sanctioning body. Now I'm number one contender based on this. He had his attorney write a petition to the to the sanctioning body. And so it has been. And you mm-hmm. see what he has gone on to become the unified heavyweight champion of the world. Um, so I think that those are his options. Mm-hmm. 
But you know who's not an option for him? Tell me. I love. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'd love to see it. Uh, I'd love to see, you know, just as an example. You remember a few years ago when Danny Garcia fought on CBS on a random Sunday? That's what I would love to see with Andrade. Because I think people will really like him if they get the eyeballs on him. His name, quite frankly, hasn't been discussed. It seems like in the limelight for quite some time. Yeah. Because anybody he went up against, he looks so damn good. He looks so polished. He looked like a literal champion. Yeah. If they were to get like that CBS after a big baseball game or Champions League, FS1, well, Champions League during the week, after a big baseball game or a football game card on Fox Sports 1, and they yeah. go right into that fight, I feel like people would appreciate it. They just don't, the casuals don't know who he is. Well, they just the, don't. One, I got to correct myself because he's fighting right. Zach Parker. I believe he's fighting Zach Parker in the UK. Okay. Um, I don't know how that slipped my mind, but. I'm privy to that information. And it's not like it's secret. That's mm-hmm. out there. Biden, Zach Parker. But um, I don't know, Rick. I'm, I, I think I might disagree with you there as well. Where? That the general public would like Demetrius Andre. I think you don't think they would? I don't, I'm not sure. I think boxing purists like you and I like him. We see the fluidity. We see the, the we see the, 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 the punching and combination. Um, and we see, I think what me and you have the ability to see the other purity is this is a good matchup against someone who's going to walk you down like Canelo. We see this is a good style matchup against someone who's young and maybe has the same, um, you know, the same skill set in a, in a Jamal Charlo. We see that. The general public, they don't see that. They're not privy to that. And if you're not knocking somebody out, what the general public likes to see in boxing is a lot of rock'em, sock'em robots. Mm-hmm. Right? That they would have loved to see is Erickson Lubin versus uh, Sebastian Fundora. The fight like that is a fight that the general public will sign up to see. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they'll sign up to see pure boxing. So your uh, retort is essentially put him up against a tomato can. Nah, and nah. and just let him knock this guy out, so that way people will be a fan of his. Well, he did that in his last fight. Uh-huh. He knocked his last opponent. I don't even remember the guy's name. But I'm, sa- I'm saying putting that on in my example, the CBS card or the FS1 card, and yeah. put putting him up there, and basically seeing what he has a glimmer of doing every once in a while, but not consistently. Nah, I don't even agree with that. I think that that is what DeZone and Eddie Hearn have been trying to do with him for the past three or four years. They're putting him in the ring with guys who he's supposed to starch. Some guys he's knocking out, but he's not he's knocking down, but not knocking out, right? His last fight, he got the guy out of there in two rounds. He never puts on a bad performance. Right. He's just not knocking these guys out, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think at this stage in his career, he just needs to get in the ring. He needs one of those guys to say yes. He needs one of those guys to answer the call. I don't believe in that. Listen, listen, I am not a believer that he has to earn a fight against Canelo, Gennady, Jamal, uh, Jaime, uh, or I'm not, I'm not a fan of that. I don't believe that that's true. He's a champion. He's been a champion for a long time. These guys who fight in his weight class shouldn't want to fight him. They should want to unify. It's enough money on the table. And I, and I don't think that, that anyone's afraid of anybody. I think the politics of boxing and the networks of it all and the, and the paychecks of it all, I think that that is what kind of graze it for him. And when Canelo has the opportunity to go and fight uh, uh, Bivol and make history and fight at 75 and win a, win a legitimate title, right? the prospect of fighting Demetrius Andre just isn't so sexy. Right. right, right. That's what I think. I think that's those. That's what happens to him. Dimitri Bivol, of course, from Russia, and uh, Demetrius Andrade from Rhode Island. You could not have two more contrasting differences than that. Exactly. One of the fights that you mentioned that I want to move on to is uh, a, a a preview of sorts between 
Errol Spence and your Dennis Ugas. This is going to be a very important fight because as we saw previously, Errol Spence has uh, come back from his really crazy, unfortunate. We weren't totally sure if he was going to return and look the same car crash um, where he was in a Ferrari. He was going, it's factual, well over the speed limit, flipped his car. And he was in a coma. Um, he returned. Still looks fine. Your Dennis Ugas, meanwhile, has worked his way up to become where he is. And we say all the power to him. Yeah. Because it is one of the most uh, commendable roads. I saw on Twitter maybe about half a year ago or so. He uh, bought his first condo. Mm-hmm. And you could see from the video two things the video and the words he put in a tweet that were this is what i have accomplished which is awesome to see with your dennis ugas in case you missed it he is the man who sent manny pacquiao into retirement many picked against him including this guy this dude right here from the south side of chicago Someone picked your Dennis Ugas. I'm not going to name him. It's me. Regardless, what I saw from Ugas previously was sneaky power. Um, yes, he can get hit, but it seems like the punches don't have such a drastic effect on him. Against Manny Pacquiao, Pacquiao landed here and there. He just didn't look good. He went up against the wrong guy that night. Your Dennis Ugas was also. The replacement, but it's slipping my mind. Who is he the replacement for? Errol Spence Jr. And if you think about it, it was probably whatever you believe in, sending a message and saying, I'm going to take it easy on you, man. Yeah. Because I do believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, if Errol was the man to go up against Manny, it would have been way worse. If Errol would have stepped in the ring against Manny Pacquiao that night, I firmly believe, and I've always said that I think that Manny Pacquiao would have ended his career flat on his face. Mm-hmm. I think he would have. Like Mark has five. I th- like it would have been some variation of that. He either would have went out on his face, he would have went out on his back, or he would not been able to answer the bell at some point in the fight. Mm-hmm. Because Errol Spence Jr. has a gear that he can get into when he's when he's really going, where he's nonstop punching, it's volume, but you can tell that they're thudding and they're taking their 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 toll on the guy. Mm-hmm. And he's been way too small. He would have been outgunned. And I don't think that he would have had, I don't think that he would have had what it took that night to uh to answer the call against everything that Errol Spence was gonna bring. That would have been one of those fights where he's not losing that fight. He made it up in his mind. I'm not losing this fight no matter what. Mm-hmm. that never came to pass so it is what it is Manny ended up having to eventually retire like you said at the hands of your Dennis Ugas it was a great fight your Dennis showed his discipline he showed his great jab he showed his fluidity and his punches his combination but to your point I don't think that he has the power the arrow has in his punches I think that there's something there's a little extra sting there's a little extra I agree. I don't know if it's how he lands or how he throws or if he's just playing out strong, playing stronger, but there's a little bit more venom on Errol's punches. Well, I mean, uh, let's answer that real quick. You know, that, uh, that's like carnival fair circus game with the bag and you punch it. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. So let's say your Dennis Ugas steps up. What is his score in that, in that carnival game? Yeah. Listen, your Dennis is probably, let's say, 827. I'm 827, okay. And then he goes, and then Errol steps up, and he punches it. What's his score? Errol's clear at 950. He might clear 1,000. <laughs> he, might, he might black <laughs> out the game. <laughs> the, the game might just, like, spontaneously combust. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So I, I agree with you. I, I'm just thinking, like, if you were to give it a score, Errol would far outweigh Ugas. The boxing yeah. ability with Errol is also better than your Dennis Ugas. 
I, I don't give Ugas much of a chance. I think he'll be in it. I think he's going to land punches. I just don't think Errol is at that stage where, sort of like with Gennady that we talked about previously, the punches aren't going to stick just yet. Yeah, Maybe in a few years they will. And those punches, obviously, within his 20s and early 30s, they will add up over time. But at this stage in the game, I, I don't see Ugas winning. I see him winning rounds, three, maybe four on a good night. I don't see him. If it goes to decision, that is, of course. I don't yeah. see him bagging seven. Nah. I can't see it. I don't, I don't see that. Unless Errol Spence is extremely compromised more than we thought that he was in the Danny Garcia fight, unless he, you know, unless he shows up and he's just not the same version of himself and that eye is, is not as healed as he says that it is. Um, I think that Errol's going to win this one. And I don't want to say walking away because that's disrespectful to your Dennis Ugas's the skill set that he brings to the, by range. walking away, you mean knockout. Is that what you're saying? 100%. Like yeah. either, either, either a, you know, unanimous decision where he just, he washes him for 12 rounds or uh, he knocks him out. I can definitely see a knockout. I can see it. I can see it too. I can mm-hmm. see a knockout, mm-hmm. but I think that your Dennis is going to give some resistance. And I think that it's going to be a good fight. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've had the pleasure of seeing you, your Dennis Ugas. Live. Up close and personal in Carson, and California. We know the skill set. We know the skill set. And we also know how hard the punches are. And that Sean Porter fight, he was thudding. Yeah. He was hit. hitting. Yeah. Uh-huh. And all credit to Sean, of course. Sean not only won that fight against Ugas, he also was in it against Errol. He pushed Errol. Yeah. He really, really did. We were at that fight as well. He pushed him until, obviously, there were a few rounds here and there within the first seven and then I'm, I'm blanking on what round it was after eight. It was eight or later where they were in the pocket and Errol landed a clean left hook on Sean's jaw. It was basically a hook against the hook. Errol's landed first. Sean was trying to land a left hook as well. And he went down and that was the first time Sean's ever gone down, which is also credit to Errol as well. Yeah. And it's also a testament to, so man, there's so much, so many layers there. I think mm-hmm. it was in 10th or 11th round. They were in the exchange, like you said. Was it the late. 11th? Was it that late? Yeah, it was the 10th or the 11th round. Uh-huh. It was pretty late into the fight. Um, but that also shows the the shape that Sean was in because mm-hmm. he never truly hit the canvas. His knees buckled and his glove hit. And he like him, the, the velocity of his body falling woke him up. And he was able to catch himself before he hit the ground. And it's, it's like, just says so much about his skill set. It says so much about him uh about him being in shape but to get to that point it's like even late arrow carries this power you know um and i just feel like with a with a with a much older diminished manny pacquiao your dentist should have been able to you know he should have been able to show us some power late if he had it sure totally fair point uh and manny's been down plenty of times in his career um however one thing that I'll say real quick, and I know this goes for a lot of people who are ingratiated in the sport, but to the casuals, having that many losses on a career is not bad. Nah. It used to be the fucking norm, okay? It just changed as Britain went over eloquently previously that essentially the politics came into play. You remember, who was it? Uh, Floyd was fighting somebody. And the whole catchphrase was someone's always got to go. Yeah, we, sh- we shouldn't even be at that point. Like it-, it should be a badge of honor to have one to two losses on your resume because there are such a thing as good losses. You hear it all the time with Selection Sunday and we're not allowed to say that. We'll say double M NCAA tournament. I'll do you one better NCAA tournament. They will say, oh, yeah, Kansas. uh beat UNC, but that was a good loss for UNC. It's okay to have that. So when you're looking up all these guys that we're talking about, have many Pacquiao having 10, 11 losses on his career, something like that. Yeah. It used to be that way. And that used to be okay. Now for your Dennis finishing Manny, it certainly would have raised his celebrity status a little bit inside and outside of the sport. Um, 
I think it shows two things. Manny still had something left in the tank. Didn't look good in the fight. Don't get me wrong. He still had something left in the tank that he didn't get knocked out. The second was your Dennis does thud. It clearly just doesn't have enough, which yeah. leads me to believe he can't hurt Errol. The only thing that can hurt Errol, as you stated previously, is Errol himself with his eye. If his eye gets fucked up, you know, all bets yeah, are off. All bets are off. Yeah. If, yeah, if his, if his eye is compromised, all bets are off, and his corner should probably do the right thing and stop the fight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, listen, man, you said a lot of good stuff there. I think Gabe Rosado is one of the prime. Oh, man. Tough guy. For, he's one of the prime candidates for a record should not dictate your ceiling in the sport, right? He came off the blocks late and adopted boxing, didn't have much of an amateur career, fought some of the the best fights that the fighters of his generation and fought them early. And in the twilight, towards the back end and twilight of his career, he's still able to fight at a very high level, fight really good names, and win some fights that people don't think that he should be winning, right? So um, I'm not sure if you had a chance to see. He just fought Shane Mosley Jr. last night. And one of the compliments that Shane Mosley Jr. gave him before they even got into it was, look, I don't have any smoke with Gabe. I love Gabe because I have four losses on my record. I think Gabe had like 11. Yeah. This is Shane Mosley Jr. speaking. And he's basically saying, and I commend his his ability to still be in high level fight after fight after fight, still compete at a very high level and continue to dedicate him to the sport that he loves. He's not letting, oh man, like I lost, I lost. So now that means that I, I, my career falls by the wayside and I need to go find something else to do. No, I love boxing. I love this. I'm going to dedicate myself to it. Mm-hmm. And ultimately what ended up in a, a tremendous victory for Shane Mosley Jr., um, beating Gabe Rosado, someone that he had a lot of respect for, you know? So to your point, man, I don't think that record should, should, uh, should affect someone's ceiling in the sport as long as they're dedicated and they continue to show up and show out. And the most important thing is guys fighting other guys, yeah, which is just a huge roadblock within the sport. All right. Lastly, um, sorry. They're afraid now. Why? Well, the way fighters look at it is if I lose, and this is true, if I lose, my pay grade drops. Which is factual. It's fact. Yeah, it sucks, but it's factual. My my marketability plummets. If I lose, I'm automatically on the B side now. And they, you know, sometimes it's like a mental thing. Fighters, if if you if you if you never lost before and you lose once depending on how you lose you never you can you never come back from it you learn something new about yourself in the most in the most emotional the most intimate way another man beat me up in front of the world i'll give you a very recent example not very recent probably eight years ago seven years ago There was a fighter from Romania who everyone thought is great, real great. But he was, he fought good fighters. He didn't fight the best. And that was Lushan Bute. Mm -hmm. Lushan Bute looked great in every single fight he fought. But we learned that he was protected. He goes up against Carl Froch. I don't think he won a round. Got knocked out somewhere from four to six. Yeah. Never returned. He never returned to being that guy. Now, is there shame in that? No. No, not at all. I would have loved to have seen maybe that happen earlier, and then he could work his way back up. At that point, he was so well-established. What really hurts me, uh, I'll, 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 give you, I'll give you another one. Um, Yuri Foreman. 
Yuri Foreman was undefeated, went and fought Miguel Cotto. Yep. I think he, he hurt his leg. He might have torn his ACL in that fight. Fought him at Yankee Stadium, lost, hardly heard from him again. Yep. I hate seeing those stories. I want those stories to end. I want to see guys come back. I want to see them bounce back. I want to see them get a few fights in and then maybe get a rematch or something of the sort. But then the politics plays in as well. Well, I already beat this guy. Why would I fight? Like um, Gervonta Davis, Isak Cruz. Great fight. Great fight. Loved it. Cruz wants the rematch. Why would I fight him again? I beat him. For us, it's appeasing. For them, it's a business. It's appeasing. It's appeasing, but at the same time, would you rather see Javante Tank Davis fight Isak Cruz for a second time, or would you rather see him fight Ryan Garcia? Ryan Garcia, of course. Fight? Exactly. Would you rather see him fight uh, 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 um, George Cambosis, right? You want to see him fight at the level that he's been marketed, that he's at, and you want to see him fight with his peers who also have belts in the weight class, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think when you're coming up through the ranks, it, it, it it's so difficult because at that point you're in, you're in shark infested water and everybody's good. Right. So what you just so said true. about Luke Butte, that is a part of promotion. And that's why some guys' careers are, 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 that's why some guys' careers flourish at different points. Some guys are phenoms in the beginning. They've been promoted very well. They've been protected from certain guys. They're moved in a way that's going to make them fight against the style that shows, you know, that they're the they're the top dog in the game. And at a certain point, you really got to go fight another top dog. But that that's exactly the problem with the sport and how the system works mm-hmm. is that we don't get to see them in the best fights when the stars align mm-hmm. and they are supposed to fight each other. And what, whatever knock you have on the UFC, I have some critiques, of course. We, we have critiques of everything. Yeah. The one thing that is greatly appreciated is you can't run from the mandatory. You can't just give up a belt. I suppose you can. <laughs> Shouldn't. But having the mandatory in there where two guys have to meet or else they're penalized, that is one thing that we can appreciate. Now, obviously, that comes with the territory of many other things that go into it that go into that formula but if Gervonta Davis is the number one and Ryan Garcia hypothetically is the number two but they don't have to fight each other that's when as we even went off on this this uh rant that we're having now with someone's always gotta go if they're undefeated, they want to keep them undefeated. They want to, their, their teams want to essentially preserve the bag. Yeah. Let's yeah, just call yeah. it like it is. They yeah, want to preserve the bag as long as they can. So they'll put them up against the X fighter and Y fighter and Z fighter, even if they fall out of the top eight, top 10, top 12. Because number one, easy payday. Number two, you are just about 97% sure to win that fight. Anything can happen on any given day, of course. But you're putting yourself in comfortable positions to preserve your long-term financial status by putting them against guys that we might like seeing them compete against because we think this dude has looked good in past fights, maybe has an outside puncher's chance, as we like to say. Yeah. But it's all about preservation at that point. Yeah, man. You gotta look at these, you gotta look at these fights in these, you gotta look at these fighters in in certain fights, like cashing out your stock. Right. Mm-hmm. You've invested so much money in the the George Cambosis or the Shakur Stevenson or the Tank Davis stock. Right. Certain fights are not risk at all. I'm putting you in there and it's going to elevate the stock. Yep. Right. Yep. But when you put, you know, a, a, a Ryan Garcia in the ring with a Javante Tank Davis, that's when you've decided to cash out the stock. You've decided that if he loses, he may not. The most money we've ever made together is the most money we've ever made together. But if he wins this fight, we've just doubled the stock. Mm-hmm. Yesterday's price is not today's price, right? So when you're in the promotion, you're in the management, you're in the business side of this, that's how you're looking at your fighters and that's how you're trying to move them. It becomes extremely strategic. And the sad part for the fan, and I am, I am both, you know, on the business side and a fan of the sport, 
sometimes you're at compromise with yourself. You know, top rank picks up the phone. They want my guy at 35 to fight one of their blue chip prospects. I don't know if it's time yet. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's time yet, but I see that there's money there. I see that there's ESPN there. Right. So you, you have to be extremely strategic when you're making these moves. Uh, Mr. Britt, lastly, uh, tell me about Vasily Lomachenko. What's going on here? So Vasily Lomachenko, who I have to tip my hat to, um, had a deal on the table to fight George Cambosis for the unified uh, 135 uh, pound championship, an opportunity to win every title except for the WBC, because that franchise title is not the legitimate WBC. Um, but he is a native of Ukraine and opposed to leaving Ukraine, preparing for a fight, um, and in his mind, probably abandoning his, abandoning his country. He decided to stay, stay as, uh, one, a very powerful figure, uh, to his fellow countrymen. But beyond that, I've seen pictures of him holding M16s, right? Um, so I don't know how close he is to actually being at combat, but it looks like he's very much so in the trenches with his fellow countrymen. So um, we got to tip our hats to him. Uh, we got to wish him the best of luck. Uh, we got to hope that this comes to some type of resolve, um, a re- resolution rather, fairly quickly, uh, because I like seeing him in his boxing uniform way more than I like seeing him in combat uniform. Absolutely. I don't know if he's fighting as well, but here's what I'll say. If you remember at the onset of when uh, Russia invaded Ukraine, there was a thought, obviously, that Volodymyr Zelensky would flee yeah, just for his own safety. And I'm sure abroad, not in the country, but abroad, many were like, oh, yeah, he's, this is over for Ukraine. I, I think there was only one analyst who predicted this correctly and that was malcolm nance who makes the rounds uh he's an intelligence analyst i believe he worked in the cia previously you could see him on uh a wave of shows i believe on msnbc but there was a thought that he was gonna leave because the bombing was starting the invasion was happening and he didn't and i truly do believe that gives for, and someone like myself who does not believe in war whatsoever, I think it's a horrible thing. For many soldiers who are in Ukraine to see the president not leave, and then to also see, just to give the quick backstory, Vasily Lomachenko was not in Ukraine. I believe he was in Greece. Mm-hmm. And he traveled back to Ukraine, Yeah, took care of his family, went back to Ukraine, and then picked up a rifle and lended his services. So that tells me a lot because there were some people who were shitting on Usyk and Lomachenko for not being there. Yeah. And that was brutal to see. So the fact that Loma went back and signed up to be in the defense forces when he didn't have to, because the martial law, if you have two kids or more, even if you're in the age bracket, I believe of 18 to 60, you didn't have to pick up a gun and fight. Yeah. The fact that he did is truly commendable. And just like Zelensky saying, I do believe it gives the Ukrainian army and others a boost to say, even the guys who are the most celebrated sportsmen in our country, to see them come back into the country and fight for the same beliefs we have, which is sovereignty, uh, a free democracy, the antithesis of what a dictator like Vladimir Putin does, is truly, truly, truly commendable. Yeah. So I applaud them. Uh, And I, I, again, as you said quite well, I hope it ends at some point. I fear it won't. Um, Obviously, we'd love to see him fight, but there are other priorities as life goes on, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I I think, you know, very well said Um, on that note, I kind of wonder the the mind state of Oleksandr Usyk, who's chosen to leave Ukraine 
defend his titles against uh, Anthony Joshua. Mm-hmm. I wonder where that leaves him mentally, because you have to understand that it's probably really important also for the country to see one of their, you know, one of their country's heroes. Um, you win. know, the, let's, let's be, win, win, you know, that it's, you know, that he's going to be decked out in his flag. You know that his trunks are going to emulate the flag. You Look know. at the AJ fight. Look at what he did after the fight. He paraded around the ring with the Ukraine flag over his that head. Was, that, was, that was prior to this. Mm-hmm. You know what he's going to do now on that, with that platform, with that many eyeballs watching him. You know he's going to, every time a microphone is put in front of him, he's going to say Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. But I wonder if that robs him of the opportunity to properly prepare for the fight. Is he going to be able to bring his 100% self, cerebral self, to prepare for, listen, great job. Me and you watched this fight together. Great job breaking down Anthony Joshua the first time. That was a phenomenal example of how a small man beats a big man. Yes, agreed. But that said, AJ is still a very, very big man. And he thinks, again, boxing being mental, he thinks that he's a different guy than show than the guy who showed up the first time. Uh, still provides some danger. Alexander Usyk was candid in that there were some punches that that he landed on me that sent me to uh, sent me to Elon Musk. Basically, saying <laughs> some punches sent me to the moon. Some punches that he landed definitely dazed me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wonder if he's compromising himself by preparing for a fight of this magnitude too soon. Well, isn't he a little older? Isn't he like 35 at this point? Yes. He might even be older. So real quick, real quick. How I see it is uh, for him at least, and this is not for everybody, of course, but time is of the essence. Yeah. I think he wants to show that he can beat AJ two times in a row, which Andy Ruiz did not say, and that, that's a whole different thing. Which Andy Andy Ruiz did not uh, have the capability of completing. He wants to sweep AJ, yeah, prove anybody wrong, and then I think he'll take the necessary time off, yeah, and see what happens with Tyson Fury, yeah. Um, it's tough. I mean, look. See, we said this like an hour ago at this point, but folks are seeing athletes more than just being someone who dunks ball or knocks out somebody. Yeah. I don't know where he'll be because I'm not him. I I don't know what it's like to have a, have a country invade you and, you know, have, have this war that's honestly been going on for a very long time. This is nothing new. It's just currently what's going on. I would hope that he's there 100%. Um, It's his choice to also go fight. So for anybody who's thinking, how could he do this? Who are we to judge? Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. And for the record, record, I wasn't trying to... I wasn't trying to uh, speculate on if it was. Oh no, no, I know, I know you were. I know you were. I'm just giving. I'm just giving different scenarios. Yeah. Like it's 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 harsh for us to judge because we are not from Ukraine. We haven't had a country invade us. We don't have a neighboring country who despises us and thinks we shouldn't exist as a liberal and free democracy. So I can't say. However, I do know that he's getting older. I think if he waits longer, it gives the upper hand to AJ. And I think afterwards, if he wins, it'll be rest time for a little, and then he'll go back and fight for his country. Yeah. Either way, man, great fight. And I think that uh, there's no way possible that we see a, a 12th round. Or or let me say this. Uh, there's no way that we see uh, a bail at the end of the 12th round in this one. I think that either way, someone's going to sleep. But in Usyk AJ too, Usyk AJ too. I think that Usyk, one or two things is going to happen. He's going to use this. It's going to fuel him. And I don't want to say walk down AJ because that's a tall task. No pun intended. 
But I think that he's going to be looking, he's going to be sharp. He's going to use that to keep him on edge and he's going to land some shots that, you know, can definitely put AJ down a few times like he did in that 11th and 12th round, really stun him and hurt him, take advantage of it. Or I think that AJ is going to come with some steam and, and he may be able to get it done. But I don't think that this fight is going to decision is my point. Um, we will have to wait and see. Uh, and we certainly will. Yeah. Amazingly, the first installment comes to a wrap. But there is so much more that we are going to discuss in RB Boxing. Uh, for Britton Harden, I am Rick Strom. And we will see you next week. Take care, everybody. Got in the recording. I know, I'm trying.